Good morning, church family. I want you to go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and join me once again in the book of Acts as we continue on in our series, Church on the Move. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 17 this week. And as you're making your way to Acts chapter 17, uh, there's a novel that was written by Charles Dickens called A Tale of Two Cities. And the novel started, maybe you remember this from school, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. I've got another tale of two cities, uh, just personally, and you may notice that I am sporting a Georgia Bulldogs shirt today, and I didn't do that to uh, make you Gator fans upset with me. Uh, I did that just to kind of emphasize this story I'm going to share with you here in just a little bit, a tale of two cities, those two cities being Gainesville, where everybody loves the Florida Gators, and Athens, Georgia, where everybody loves the Georgia Bulldogs. And I know there may be some differences between those two cities, but certainly between those two fan bases. And I'm not just talking about the Gator fans who wear uh, jorts and have mullets. That's a joke. I'm not talking about that. Uh, it's talking about a time in my life where I experienced uh, what I would say is uh, a Gator fan, maybe not at their best, a tale of a different city. Uh, I had gone with my parents as a young teenager uh, to watch the Georgia-Florida game. So if you're a Georgia fan, it's the Georgia-Florida game, not the Florida-Georgia game. And as we were walking up to the stadium, some people from Gainesville drove by, and we had our Georgia Bulldog gear on, and they started throwing the milk bone dog treats that are shaped in a bone. They started throwing those out the window and pelting us with those. And I knew from then on, that was a tale of two cities, that bad people lived in Gainesville. Just kidding. I hope you have time to get to the text and for us to be able to dive into Acts chapter 17 this morning as we do look at a tale of two cities. We're going to see how two different cities, the Jewish people in those cities, respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul and Silas come in and preach the gospel to them, we're going to see how they respond in two totally different ways. So let's look at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1 this morning. This is what Luke writes, Now when they had passed through Amphilippus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. 
Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. As we look at Acts chapter 17, I want to give you this main idea that's going to frame our time together in the text as we look at these first 15 verses of Acts chapter 17, and it's this truth. We should receive God's word with eagerness, examine God's word carefully, and believe God's word fully. Now we're going to unpack that over the next verses in our time together, and I want you to focus in, though, on uh, Paul and Silas and company's first interaction with the Jews in the city of Thessalonica. We're going to find that in verses 1 through 9, and so I want us to look and to notice how they respond to the gospel message as it's proclaimed. And if you're looking and, and seeing what's happening here, you're going to notice that they respond very, very differently than the Jewish people respond in the city of Berea that we're going to cover in verses 10 through verse 15. And so Paul and Silas and company are traveling. They are heading into the city of Thessalonica, and there's a synagogue there, and they go and do exactly what they do in most cities. When there's a synagogue, they go into that synagogue and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what Paul does here. In fact, it says that three consecutive Sabbath days, that's three Saturdays, the days that they would have gathered as Jewish people to worship, that Paul is there and he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. So Paul is taking from the Old Testament and he is reasoning with them. He is trying to help them understand that it is Jesus Christ who is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the one who was promised beginning in Genesis 3.15 and those promises continue all the way through the Old Testament and he is the point. He is the Messiah that they have been longing for and looking for. And so he's trying to remind them of this, to help them understand this and to grasp this. Now, what's interesting is that there are some in this location who do receive this truth, who do respond by faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. But I want you to notice in verse 5. I want you to notice first the condition of the hearts of the Jewish people right here who don't receive the message of the gospel. It says, but the Jews were jealous. The Jews were jealous. The condition of their hearts is one of jealousy. Now back up for just a little bit into Acts chapter 16. And if you'll remember as Paul and Silas are in Philippi, as they are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
that a slave girl is following them. We covered that last week as we walked through uh, Acts chapter 16. This slave girl is following them and is demon-possessed and is crying out that these men are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember that Paul turns and casts the demon out, but a problem ensues that her owners, the owners of this slave girl, were using her to make a profit. So their sin, their condition of their heart is one of greed, where they were wanting to make money. So they turn and drag Paul and Silas in front of the authorities and say to them, look at what these men are doing. Now, we've got the exact opposite thing going on here. We have the sin of jealousy. We have that as the condition of the hearts of these Jewish people. And so they are hearing Paul and Silas proclaim the message of the gospel. They're seeing that there are people responding to that. And for them as leaders in the synagogue, they are recognizing very quickly that their authority is being diminished, that people are actually leaving, following them, and they're going to follow Jesus. They're not listening to them anymore as the Jewish religious leaders. They're listening to Paul and to Silas and those who are with him. And so jealousy fills them up. And that's the condition of their heart. I want you to notice, though, it continues on, and it says not only were they filled with jealousy, but it says that the next thing that they did is they conspired with others to drag Paul and Silas before the crowds. So if you remember in Acts chapter 16, that's exactly what happened. They drug Paul and Silas before the crowds and ended up getting them thrown into prison. They are trying to do that here. The Jewish people are seeking to do the exact same thing, and they need some help. They need to conspire with what they call here. They say that they're wicked men of the rabble which basically means these are troublemakers. These are not godly people that they are stirring up, that they're riling up to get on their side, that these are wicked people that they're doing that with. That's their plan. That's how they conspired to try and stop the spread of the gospel here in the city. And we see that it continues on from there and that they try to bring them out to the crowd, but verse 6, they could not find them. So they're looking for Paul and Silas and those who are with them. They can't find them, but they know that they're staying at the house of Jason. And so they grab Jason and some of them, and they bring them out to the crowd before the city authorities. And this is what they shout. So not only is the condition of their hearts one of jealousy, and not only did they conspire with others to try and drag Paul and Silas out, but here's what they do. They lie they spread false information, and they effectively close the door of opportunity for Paul and Silas, for those who are within the group there, to remain and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what they say. They say, before the city authorities, these men who have turned the world upside down, which what an amazing thing for them to say about Paul and Silas and company, these men who have turned the world upside down have also come here and Jason has received them, and they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there's another king, and his name's Jesus. So they're looking and saying, how do we get these city authorities on our side to try and stop this spread of the gospel from going forth? And they say, let's lie about what they're proclaiming. They're proclaiming that Caesar's not king, that actually Jesus is king. And so we've got to stop this. And it says in verse 8, the people in the city authorities 
were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, that they let them go. So effectively in this moment, as we'll see in just a second, the door was slammed shut for Paul and Silas and company to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this city. Now, amazingly, this city is a city that the gospel would continue to spread. And in fact, Paul would write to this city, the book of First and Second Thessalonians, to encourage the church that was there. But he says in First Thessalonians 2, I wish I could come back to you, but I can't. Just further giving us evidence that Paul's heartbeat was to stay there and to minister, and yet he was not able to do that because of the way the Jews responded to him there. So if you look with me in verse 10 through 15, we're going to see something totally different happen in the city of Berea. So as they leave Thessalonica, they head to the city of Berea, and notice what happens in verse 10. Immediately, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So they didn't give up hope because things didn't work out in Thessalonica. They enter into the Jewish synagogue and they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ there. But notice in verse 11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And I want you to notice this. They received the word with eagerness. That's the first truth I want you to see, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit during our time of application as we talk about for us receiving the Word of God with eagerness. But it says they received the Word of God with eagerness. Not only that, they examined the Word carefully. Look what it continues on in saying. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them, therefore, believed. So they received the word with eagerness. They examined it carefully day by day to see if what they were proclaiming was actually true. And they realized this is true. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And they believed the message of the gospel. They believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too. So it wasn't just enough to get them out of the city of Thessalonica. They hear that, gosh, they're going to Berea. It's about 50 miles away and the gospel is spreading there. And we've got to go stop that too. It says that they agitated and stirred up the crowds. And in verse 14, the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul, who carried him, brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, those two men departed to go to be with Paul. What a difference between the response of the Jews in the two cities. In one, they're jealous. They conspire to stamp out the gospel being spread, and they close the door effectively to the gospel being spread, at least by Paul and Silas and company. But notice in Berea, completely opposite response. They receive the word with eagerness. They examine the word carefully, and then they believe the word fully. So as we take a few minutes to worship again together, I want you to reflect on those two cities. Reflect on how 
the response is totally different. And then we'll gather back together and we'll look at what the Lord is saying to us as we seek to apply this text in our lives. So let's gather back around the text and think about some application as we seek to apply this text to our lives. I don't really want to focus on City One and and how they responded or effectively didn't respond to the gospel message. I, I want to focus in on on City Two, the Bereans that we encountered there, and to see how they respond to God's word and seek to understand how can we take that, how can we look at their example and apply that to our own lives. The first thing we said about the Bereans is that they received the word of God with eagerness. So as Paul and company come and proclaim the gospel to them, they receive that with eagerness. I want to think about this with us as we are working through understanding this text. What is the condition of your heart when you come to God's Word? What is the condition of your heart when you come to God's Word? How do you approach your personal time with the Lord and His Word? And then how do you approach our corporate time together in God's Word? So let's think about that first from a personal standpoint. Uh, how do you approach God's Word uh, on a daily basis? When you think about coming to God's Word, when you think about opening your Bible and reading it, or maybe pulling up the scriptures on your phone, maybe you have some type of reading plan, or you have an email that blasts you every morning where you can uh, look at God's Word, or maybe it's a verse of the day, or something like that. How, how do you approach that? How do you come expecting to hear from the Lord? Because one of the things that God's word promises about itself is that it will not return void, that it will accomplish what it's meant to accomplish in our lives. And 2 Timothy reminds us that God's word is profitable, that it is good to help us grow in godliness. And so as we approach God's word, I want to challenge you to think about how you come to the scriptures. You know, it's a thing for me each morning when I open God's Word, and look at what's going on in the text to simply pray a few prayers and ask God to open my eyes so that I can see what He wants me to see, uh, so that I understand what's going on, so that I can comprehend, and not only that, but also apply that in my own life. See, one of the things that can happen for me as a pastor is that my personal time in God's Word drift into just getting ready for Sunday to come. And instead of it being personal time, instead of God working in my soul and my heart so that I'm transformed, so that I'm growing in my relationship with Him, it can drift into, okay, Sunday's coming, I've got to get ready for Sunday. And I may replace spending time in God's Word personally, devotionally for my own life and seek to just do whatever I need to do to make sure Sunday's message is ready. But one of the things that the Lord's impressed on me in that is to make sure that whatever I'm preaching on Sunday, I've lived with through the week. And I've asked those questions of myself through the week. God, what can I do personally in my life with this text that I'm preaching Sunday? How do you want to transform me before it can transform someone else's life? How can it transform me? And so I want you to think about that for yourself as you daily get up and spend time in God's Word. God's Word transforms our lives, but we should approach it with that expectation that God is going to work in and through His Word to change us. And so we can ask God to do that. 
We can come and say, God, open my eyes so that I can see this. Open my heart so that I can receive this. Help me understand what I'm reading. Uh, illuminate the text for me so that I can see and understand what's going on and, and it transform my life. So that's in a personal way, but think about it corporately as well. As we come and gather on a weekly basis, uh, whether that's in person or whether that's uh, online during this season, as we gather around God's word every single week, we can come expecting God to work eager for God to work through the text and transform our lives as we study it together. It's funny, during this, uh, this season when we were completely online, uh, as we were sitting around in our living room worshiping with our church family and uh, our kids were singing, and then it was coming time for the message. And one of the things that you'll notice is every time I read the text, that I always follow up that text with a specific prayer, asking God to open our eyes that we can see, that God would open our ears so that we could hear, that he open our hearts and our minds so that we'd be ready to respond to his word and his spirit. So that's the prayer I pray. And it was so funny because my kids would joke about that every single time. They'd say, Dad, we know exactly what you're going to pray. You pray it every single time. We can repeat it. But here's one of the things about that. I honestly desire for that to be the case. So that when we study God's word together as a church family, that that's actually happening. That we come with the expectation and the eagerness that God is going to work. And there's all kinds of distractions that are going on in the midst of a service or as we're at home watching online. There's other things that occupy our mind and our attention. And one of the things that I hope that, that we can agree on and come together on is that we need God to work through his word. And we should be eager for God to work through his word as we gather together corporately as his church, his family, every single week. And so think about that in your life personally. Do you come with eagerness as you approach God's word? What's the condition of your heart? Is it hurried? Is it, I just got to get this through. I just got to check the box and read what I have to read. Is it coming to church and say, well, we just, we got to go or uh, maybe you approach it and, and things have been crazy that morning with your kids trying to get them in the car, whatever it is. And, and, and you just come in not prepared, not ready, not eager to hear God's word. I want to encourage you and challenge you uh, to think about that and to prepare your hearts every single day as you spend time personally in God's word and every single week as we spend time together corporately in God's word, making sure that your heart is ready to hear from the Lord, that this is not just something we do, but that this is something that we prepare ourselves to do every single day, personally, and every single week, corporately. So we see that the Bereans receive the word with eagerness, and my prayer is that we would receive the word with eagerness as well in our lives. But think about this as well. The text tells us that they examine the word daily. So that as they heard the message, as they heard the gospel, as they heard the sermons that Paul was preaching there in the synagogue, that they didn't just say, okay, wow, that was good. Check that off and move forward. That they actually examined the scriptures for themselves. That they said, we're not just going to sit back and just trust what he's saying is true. We're actually going to dig in and we're going to see, is what he's saying true? And then if what he's saying is true, we've got to do something with that. 
Now, for them at this point, they weren't believers. They had not trusted Jesus as their Savior. And so Paul had come in and from the Old Testament shown them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Savior that they needed to repent of their sin. They needed to turn to him and trust him for salvation. And they say, we need to know if that's true. And think about that in your own life personally. How do you examine God's word? Do you examine it carefully? So as you study God's word personally in your own life, or as you come and we study God's word together corporately, whether that's in person or online, do you go back and make sure that what you've heard is actually true? That's so very important because I want you to know that everything that you hear, everything that you may hear on Christian television, everything you hear that some pastor may say is not necessarily true. But God's word is true. And so if you hear something and you examine the scriptures and it's not what's in the scriptures, then you say, that's not true. If you hear something and you say, gosh, that hurts, that's uncomfortable, and then you examine the scriptures and you look and see that's actually true, and then your life transforms and you conform to the truth of God's word. One of the things that they say about the internet is everything you read is not true. I want you to notice something about God's word. Everything that you read there is true. And you may not like it. And there may be times when you hear messages that are not what you would like to hear. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that that the tendency for uh, churches today is to tell people what they want to hear, to build them up, to make them feel better about themselves, to maybe soft pedal what God's word actually says, or even just wholesale to neglect it because it's not culturally uh, appropriate. But I want you to notice that that's not an option for us. I want you to notice that for me as your pastor, that's not an option for me. There are texts that I come across when I preach that are not the easiest texts to talk about. They're not the easiest topics to cover. And there are people, when they hear something that I may say from God's word, it's not what they want to hear. It doesn't tickle their ears. And yet the truth is, that's what God's word is. God's word is true. And we can't compromise on that. And we can't soft pedal that. And we can't make that more politically correct or more culturally appropriate. We stand on the truth of God's word without question, knowing that what is in his word is true. And so for you and for me, we are called as believers to examine God's word carefully. For us as believers, we should know the storyline of the scriptures. We should know what God's word is about, what God's word proclaims. We should be students of God's word, seeking to understand more and more, not just for head knowledge, but for heart knowledge, for information to come into our heads, but to sink deep into our hearts and to transform our lives. That's what God's word can and should be doing in our lives. And so we should be studying it carefully, just like the Bereans did as they heard Paul proclaim the gospel to them. I want you to notice lastly that for the Bereans, not only did they receive the word with eagerness, not only did they examine the word carefully, but here's the last thing that we saw. They believed the word fully. So the question for you today, 
Will you believe God's word fully? Will you believe it completely? Will you trust what his word says? And then will you allow it to transform your life, to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ so that you, by spending time in God's word daily, by spending time in God's word corporately as we gather each week, will you allow it to transform your heart so that day by day by day by day, you look more and more and more like Jesus Christ. That's our calling. That's what we have been called to do, to spend time in God's word so much so that we are saturated with it to the point that if you were to squeeze us tightly, you'd get a whole lot of Jesus coming out of us. And I want you to think about this too. If you're listening or watching and for you, you aren't a believer. You've never taken that step of trusting Jesus as your savior. I want to challenge you to receive what you've heard today and to receive who Jesus Christ is with eagerness. That's exactly what the Bereans do. They receive what Paul is telling them, that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came down to this earth, that he lived a perfectly sinless life, that he went to the cross and took our sin upon himself so that he could lay his life down for us to forgive us of our sins, and that he rose from the dead, securing salvation for us. I want you to receive that message with eagerness. I want you to search the scriptures, to seek to know, is that true? And if that is true, for you today to believe who Jesus Christ is and to receive the message of the gospel for yourself so that your life can be transformed, so that you go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. You can do that today, and I want to encourage you if if that's the step that you need to take, would you reach out to us? Would you let us know? We would love to walk with you through that, to encourage you on the back end of if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior here during this time we've had in God's Word together. But believer, I want to challenge you. I want to urge you. I want to beg you to approach God's Word with a sense of eagerness daily and weekly as we gather together, to search the scriptures out for yourself, examine what God's word says, hide his word in your heart, meditate on the truths that you find in it, and then believe it, trust it, know that it is fully true, and it transforms lives. I want you to bow your heads with me and we're going to take this opportunity just to spend some time in prayer before we worship once again. Father, thank you for this time we've had in your word today. Thank you for the truth that your word proclaims. And would you help us who are gathered here as your children, help us to receive your word with eagerness daily as we spend time in it and weekly as we gather to hear it together as your church family. Would you help us to examine it carefully? Father, that we would know what is in your word, that we would search it out, that we would study it, that we would memorize it, that we would meditate on it, and then that we would believe it, that we would trust it, that we would see it's good for our lives. Father, for the one who's watching or listening who is not a believer, has never taken that step, 
but yet today they've received this message with eagerness. And they're examining whether or not what we've said today about Jesus Christ and what he's done for them is true. Would you help them believe that? To trust in Jesus for their salvation. We ask that in his name. Amen. Would you continue to worship with us as we reflect on the text and as we reflect on how we can apply it to our lives today?